0: Welcome to the Tennis Addict Podcast, the podcast for tennis fans, by tennis fans. Listen as the hosts break down the latest news and tournament results from around the tennis world. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced early each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Here are your hosts, Mike, Eric, and Michael.
1: Hello tennis fans and welcome back to another episode of the Tennis Attic podcast. This is your host Michael and I'm going solo in this episode and uh, the reason mostly that I'm going solo is because uh we had last week took last week off. It was the week after Wimbledon and uh on top of the fact that it was the week after Wimbledon, uh, I was out due to uh health reasons and um my brother was out on vacation, and and my cousin Michael was was out due to health reasons, actually as well. So it, it kind of worked out. We were going to take a week off anyway. It just ended up happening because of that. Plus, we just couldn't uh, couldn't do it physically. Um, so this week, uh, again, uh, vacation is happening, and I'm getting ready to go on vacation as well which is why I'm trying to get this little mini episode out. It's not going to be anything crazy. Um, It's going to go over some news, go over some thoughts and opinions on uh, the end of Wimbledon, the upcoming hardcourt season, where we could see things going. Now, um, my brother and my cousin Michael will be doing a preview for Rogers Cup on Friday. Now, I know it starts Friday, but uh, they can't record until Friday – regardless. So uh, they're going to put out their preview and then I'll be back in time to do the review of Rogers Cup in the preview for Cincinnati. So if we look at this, this is going to be a pretty quick episode. Like I said, I'm just going to cover the news and give you some thoughts and opinions. So it's going to be a one setter, maybe a two setter at most here. I'm just going to go over some of the news, some of the stuff that's come up in the last couple of weeks since the end of Wimbledon. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was Roger Federer withdrawing from Roger's Cup. So it turns out that Roger decided that physically he needs to recover and of course Wimbledon, is it's a hard two weeks. Uh, Roger lost in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and I know that that was probably difficult for him and did not meet his expectations but on top of that, at his age it takes a lot out of you. Uh, regardless of whether he you know, made it to the quarterfinals or he made it to the finals, win or lose, it's still difficult to go over, you know, that time period of 14 days. And uh, in Roger's case, it was like 10 days. And uh, the wear and tear on the body is, uh it's a lot. And we have to remember, it wasn't just Wimbledon. It was also the two lead-up tournaments that he played going into Wimbledon. So it's a lot, and it's a lot to deal with. So he pulled out of Roger's Cup because he just wants to make sure that he's ready, I think, for the biggest of the tournaments, and that is the U.S. Open. So my guess is he'll take Roger's Cup off, train, recover, well, recover and train, and then get ready and do Cincinnati as a warm-up going into the U.S. Open. And considering his age, he just wants to be ready for the U.S. Open. That's the biggest thing. At this stage, I don't even really think winning – Cincinnati or Roger's Cup is is something that he really cares about as much as simply being sharp, focused, and fully healthy and ready to go for the U.S. Open. And so that might be the right move for Roger. And in fact, considering his history over the last 18 months, it, it's the right decision for him. It, it's managing your schedule in such a way that you're able to maximize the tournament, the chances at the tournaments that you want to win the most, those being the Grand Slams, because at this point in his career, considering he's he's definitely clearly in the back end of his career, it's it's just something that he needs to do. And, you know, making sure that his body is ready to go for the Grand Slams is and should be the main priority. Everything else is secondary. Um, all right, so then some other things happened here. Um, John Isner won Atlanta for the fifth time in 6 years. So, you know, that's a big deal because Isner is somebody who played a great Wimbledon. Uh, it's a real shame about everything that happened at Wimbledon and how everything has gone down and I'll get into that in a second here, but you know, he's bounced back. He could have really had let, he really could have let the Wimbledon uh malaise linger and just gone into a funk. And we've seen a lot of players do that. They, they, they have a tough loss and they just kind of disappear. They go away for, for weeks or months. And um, I'm glad to see that even though he really lost a heartbreaker in that semi at Wimbledon and the situation that everybody was put in, he managed to beat fellow American Ryan Harrison. Uh, he won in three sets, actually lost the first set 7 5 and then came back or 5 7 and then lost or uh, won the next two sets 6 3, 6 4. So that to me is something that is impressive. And, you know, he he's the only uh, Americans, uh, Jimmy Connors, McEnroe, Agass- Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras to win uh, an ATP tour event five times or more. So that's some pretty elite company to be in regardless of the venue that you win. Um, so it looks like Andy Murray is ready or much more ready, much more confident going into the hard court season and going into the city open than then he was in the grass season. I think he reluctantly pulled out of Wimbledon. I don't really think that he had planned on doing that until it was obvious that he wasn't going to be able to go in there and really put forth his very best effort. So I'm hoping that the current world number 839, 839 is, um, ready, you know, ready to come back and, and see what his body can deal with and just get on, the, on the court and really finally be back. You know, maybe not test the waters as much uh, as he did prior to Wimbledon. Hopefully he'll be able to go out there and really compete. And I'm not expecting fireworks. I'm not expecting, you know, Andy to go in and win the U.S. Open here in a few weeks. If he does, that'd be fantastic for him. But I just think solid results is the best we can hope for right now until we see him build himself up again and and then you know maybe in 6 8 months maybe around the Australian Open next year that's maybe when we'll see hopefully Andy Murray fully back and ready to go uh so we had uh, some other stuff um we had uh Hamburg in play and Nikoloz Basilashvili he defeated um Leonardo Meyer, 6-4 uh zero six seven five. I got begged in that second set, but you know, Meyer was the defending champion. And so Basilis Vili came in and, you know, 26-year-old guy. Um really put forth uh, I think the heart effort here uh to win on this clay court tournament. You know, the thing about clay is <laughs> after the French Open, a lot of people forget about it. They don't think that it even is a factor anymore. but you know even post Wimbledon, there are still clay court tournaments to be played. and Hamburg used to be you know before the French Open and they and then it was moved until after Wimbledon. Uh, I've, I've, I'm a little annoyed at that move. I, I've always liked Hamburg and to have that being moved, I guess it clears up a little bit of the glut pre-French open, but at the same time, I've always liked Hamburg and it just kind of seems more of an afterthought these days uh, because it's after the French Open and therefore, for a lot of people, it doesn't really matter as much. But anyway, kudos to him because it's still a great tournament to play. It's still a fantastic trophy and a good win for Basilashvili. Uh, we had a bit of an offset here with uh, Roberto Batista Agut losing – to Matteo Berantini, 7-6-6-4, to win the Swiss Open. And uh, you know, that's it's a big, it's a big title in in Gestad. So Barantini, um, 22 years old, and you know, he's a guy who's kind of up on the rise there. Uh, he seems to be a solid player, a guy who who's got a solid game. And Batista Goot really, you know, he's a guy who's been around for a while. I remember when he kind of burst on the scene uh about I want to say about 5 6 years ago and now he's kind of a veteran uh in later stages of his career and Barrentini being young he came in and you know really just took it right to him and won this uh title it's a huge title for him and congrats on Barrentini winning that because you know we're starting to see some of these younger players like Barrentini start to pick up, you know, these aren't the biggest titles in the world, right? But these are where you start. Most players don't start off winning giant Master Series titles and things of that nature like Alexander Severov and other people in the past have. You start out small, you win some smaller titles, you move on to the 500s and then, you, you know, maybe you get to the 1000s and, and maybe obviously Grand Slam is being the big one. But it's a great win for Berantini, so congrats to him. Now on to Nick Kyrgios. So again, uh, Nick, for all the talent, really seems to be struggling when it comes to his health. Uh, there appears to be a hip issue, yet another hip issue. And these days, it's um, it's either the hip or it's a shoulder issue or an elbow issue. Um, the elbow, I think, being the big thing, along with the hip, are the two injuries that really seem to be derailing this guy's career. Now, it could be a chronic issue. And that's certainly something that we as fans have seen with other players. Nadal has a had a chronic knee issue for a majority of his career. Um, so to see a player have this, it really stinks because I'd rather see a player go out there and win or lose because they just happen to not be the best player that day. But I do want to see players go out there and and compete. And a guy like Kyrios Regardless of his temperament, whether you like him or not, he's still a guy that has a ton of ability and a ton of flair. And I'd rather see someone like him actually be be able to go out and, and compete and show us what he can do. But the problem is he keeps getting sidelined. Now, if it isn't a chronic issue when it comes to just being – physiological makeup of his body where he just happens to have those parts break down easier. It could also be a training issue. How much work does Nick put in when he's not on the court in tournaments? That's a problem because if you don't work hard on your fitness, your body will break down. Very specific body parts can and will break down if you don't go in and put forth the effort physically and make sure that your body is your fit and not just fit like most of us, even if we work out regularly or fit, I'm talking fit as a tennis player. Where you know, these guys have to be exceptionally fit, right? I mean, we've seen players come back. You know, they have their shirt off; they're out there hitting uh, on the court. They just come back from injury. You're looking like that guy's in great shape. Yeah, that guy's in great shape, but he's not in great tennis shape, and there's a massive difference there. Um, someone like you know Nadal or Roger or or Novak, even. Uh, who's just come back and obviously won Wimbledon, to be in tennis shape is a far different thing than just being in shape, being in good shape physically. And if Nick isn't putting forth the effort outside of, you know, the tournaments, um, that could lead to these injuries. Now I'm not saying that is the case. It just, it could be, it could be that, or it could be just, Hey, this guy chronically, he'll have this hip issue for maybe the rest of his life in terms of this could happen. So we don't know yet. He's, he's still young. He's still got a lot of years ahead of him. But hopefully, he gets back soon because he is in doubt for the city open. So moving on, I wanted to, to – I guess that's the end of set one. I wanted to get into set two here. And I just wanted to offer you guys my post-Wimbledon thoughts. I wasn't able to be on the uh, – wimbledon review because i I was out i was physically um unable and if you heard on the tournament or on the tournament the uh, podcast that i had kidney stones which are terrible but those kept me out uh, a lot of pain so i wasn't able to actually be on the podcast i tried to leave some of my thoughts which they did relay in the actual episode but i do want to take a moment and let you guys know uh what i thought about some of the stuff that went on to wimbledon this year and what I think Wimbledon needs to do moving forward. So first and foremost, um, on on terms of say the drama, I mean, this is probably one of the most dramatic Wimbledons I've ever seen in my life. It may be the most dramatic Wimbledon. Um, and I've seen some pretty dramatic ones over the years since I've been watching uh, tennis. But for all the drama that exists, for all the good things that that uh, that comes from something like all that drama. I mean, great ratings and you get on Center, and people writing articles and that's fantastic. But for that short-term burst of fantastic drama, there is a price to be paid. Okay? And the price is fairness. And I'm going to explain. So the problem that I see at not just Wimbledon but at the Australian Open and at Roland Garros is that there has to be a fifth set tiebreaker. Now you've probably heard this. If you're a big tennis fan and you were watching the tournament in the latter stages, you were hearing all the big, all the big names out there, the analysts, former players, things like that, talking about the fact that a lot of them felt that a fifth set tiebreaker was absolutely necessary at Wimbledon, but not just at Wimbledon. I think the grand slams as a whole. Now I understand tradition. But at the same time, while tradition is great, you can't just keep a tradition around for the sake of tradition. I mean, you have to back up the reason you're keeping something around. If it doesn't hurt anybody and it's not taking away from anything, then by all means, keep the tradition. But when the game changes, you have to make sure that the tradition that you're keeping isn't affecting the players and to a certain extent, the product. And let's face it, tennis is a product. Guys and girls and men and women are going out there and they are fighting hard to win these big titles because these are important to them in the sport that they play, that they love, that they train hard every day at the highest level just in the hopes of having an opportunity to win one of these Grand Slam titles. And the problem that I have is that While the drama was great at Wimbledon, it came at the expense of a fair match. So we got into the tie, the fifth set, and there was no tiebreaker. Kevin Anderson came back and beat Roger Federer. Was it fifth, I think 15, 13, I believe, or 16, 14 in the fifth? Okay. It's a long match. All right. Then he follows it up by defeating John Isner, 26, 24 in the fifth set and then made it to the final. Novak Djokovic, however, okay, he had a long match against Rafa Nadal uh, over two days, and beat Nadal uh, deep into the fifth set. Again, no tiebreaker. The problem is, is you're then asking these players, and specifically Kevin Anderson, or even if John Isner would have won, to then go into the final and have a chance. And to me... That is a real problem because everybody knew that the likelihood that Kevin Anderson would be able to go out there and compete at the level that he needed to compete at against Novak Djokovic was almost impossible. Physically, there was almost no way he was going to be able to summon what he needed to summon in order to actually defeat Novak Djokovic. Or if Nadal had won, same thing, okay? Okay. The problem here is that while it was great to see all those things, we need players to be able to go into the match after their current match that they're playing with as fair a a well as fair as a uh, playing field as it can possibly be, because you know is it nobody gave really Kevin Anderson a chance in that final, but just imagine for a second if Novak would have defeated. Rafael Nadal in straight sets. Now think how much more lopsided that would have been. And it would have been very lopsided, even more so than it was. What I think they need to do is that the Grand Slams need to come together. The US Open, which already has a fifth set tiebreaker, and the other three Grand Slams, the bodies need to come together and they need to agree unanimously to install a fifth set tiebreaker. So they either need to go and do a standard tiebreaker, right, where it's 6-6, you go into a tiebreaker, whoever wins the tiebreaker wins the match. Or you say, okay, fine, after 6-6, it can go up to 9-9 or maybe 10-10. But at some point, there is an absolute limit as to how much more tennis that a player can play before you get to a tiebreaker. It has to be one of those two things. You either do it at 6-6 or you do it at somewhere between 6-6 and, and you do as, I think, as high as 10-10. I think 10-10 and then you play a tiebreaker and then the match is over. That's about as much as I think any player should have to play. And I'd be fine with any of those situations. Um, but the point is you cannot ask a player to play the equivalent of another four sets on the top of The five sets they've, wow, yeah, the five sets that they've already played, then saying, okay, we're going to have you play another four sets of tennis or more. John Isner is now responsible for playing the two biggest, well, not biggest, longest matches in Wimbledon history. He came out the winner on one. There was a first round match, right? Stakes aren't that high. Unfortunately, he came in, uh, in, played a great match, but then went out a loser in a match that was for almost everything. It would have gotten him to the final where he would have had a chance, but he didn't have a chance. Even if he had won, he would not have been able to have beat Novak Djokovic, and Kevin Anderson certainly couldn't either because he had nothing left. Kind of like how Nishikori played three consecutive five-setters a few years ago had nothing in his tank against Marin Cilic, but at least in that situation, there was a tiebreak in the fifth. He just happened to play three straight five-set matches. You know that's something that's fine. Okay, hey, you play three five-set matches. Well, that's just how it it works, you know. But but to ask a player to play way more than the the, the body's capable of really absorbing all of that damage and all of that uh, all the breakdown, you know. And then asking them to go out and play again, eh, it's just too much. So they need to make some role changes, I think, at Wimbledon, at Australia, and at Paris. So those are my thoughts. But congrats to Novak Djokovic for just surprising, stunning everybody. I think nobody really expected him to come in and win, but he did what he needed to do. Played a great match against Nadal. Nadal played a great match, but just unfortunately came out the loser And Novak. One And uh, also congrats to Angelique Kerber for playing a fantastic tournament. And and maybe Serena wasn't playing her best that day, but she's also at least somewhat responsible because Angelique Kerber is a multiple-time Grand Slam champion. She's now won three out of the four. Good for her. All right, everyone, that's it for this uh, episode. So see you guys uh, soon. Like I said, my brother and my cousin will be doing a preview this Friday, so look out for that. And I'll see you guys here in a couple of weeks when I'm back to cover, uh, to cover, uh, sorry, Rogers Cup. Yeah, to cover the Rogers Cup and uh, do the preview for Cincinnati. So I'll be looking forward to that. So we'll see you guys next time. And thanks for listening to the podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Addict podcast by Freaking Geeks Media. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. If you would like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to TennisAddictPodcast at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lannick or at FreakGeeks.